Hello, everybody, and welcome back into the Big Ten Show, Illinois edition this time. Big news coming out of the uh, Illinois situation with Terrence Shannon Jr. Um, you know, a lot of stuff going on there, a lot of it, you know, dealing with a lot of legal situations and stuff like that. So, you know, we brought in the expert, uh, Mitch Gilfillan. Uh, did I pronounce that right, Mitch? Yeah, close enough, Mitch Gilfillan. Gilfillan. All right, sorry about that. No well, Mitch, if uh, if you want to go ahead and just uh, tell the people where you're from and and uh, a little bit about yourself, and before we get started here, yeah, sure. No, thanks, guys, for having me. Obviously, major news uh, coming from the federal court today. Um, as you said, I'm a, an attorney that practices law in Peoria, Illinois, at the Quinn Johnson Law Firm. Um, I'm not involved in this case. I do not represent any of the parties. Um, however, I've, I've had a, a legal interest in this case, just due to obviously the, the spotlight on the University of Illinois, the fact that it involves a potential All-American, and it's really you know kind of around my home court in the state of Illinois, and so certainly has piqued my interest. Absolutely, and Mitch, Mitch has been on with uh, Sonny on the Illini cast before, and we also simulcasted that to this channel. So Mitch, really appreciate you uh, taking the time to come on here again. I know you're busy. So, um, and Sonny, go ahead, uh, you know, tell people where you're from, my co-host uh, from the Illini cast, like I said, but go ahead and take it away, Sonny. How you doing? Yeah, if uh, some of you are confused with the backdrop and all that kind of right stuff, uh, some of you uh, subscribe to Illini cast. This is the other project that I work on, uh, the Big Ten show. Uh, this is uh, Illinois specific, obviously. So, that's for you uh, that's confused out there. Anyways, Mitch, big news today. Judge Lawless has granted the temporary restraining order uh, in Terrence uh, Shannon Jr.'s favor. Obviously, I haven't read the paperwork. I'm assuming you might have. Uh, can you kind of give us a layman's term of what just happened today? Yeah, so so major news coming out of the Central District today when the, uh, the court, uh, specifically Judge Lawless, granted... Uh, the uh, Terrence Shannon Jr.'s camp, which was a petition motion uh, for a verified injunctive relief. Uh, what that means in the most simple common man terms is that they asked for a relief due to what they believe was going to be irreparable harm that was going to be suffered if he continued to be suspended, and they were granted that relief. Now, the legal hurdles and the legal challenges to get there, obviously, is 38 pages worth uh, of material. Um, but obviously it's major, major news. Um, and it's, it's certainly significant for the university of Illinois basketball team. So obviously like the judge can't order someone being able to play, but essentially what was the ruling based on, on why she ultimately decided that, um, the grant that it would be granted. Sure. And so the, really the, the Terrence Shannon side attacked this from two angles. The first one was the Title IX issues that they were alleging that Terrence Shannon Jr. was essentially under the umbrella of the university when he went on this trip to Kansas. And if you're on a trip to Kansas that's university sponsored or an education like program, that triggers Title IX. And that's what they were attempting to argue. The defense, the University of Illinois Board of Trustees and, and some of the other defendants as a part of this case affiliated with the university said, no, this was a completely personal trip. With that, the court agreed. The court agreed that the Title IX did not fall into place in this case. And thus, this was not a Title IX case, if you will. It, however, turned to something completely different that was alleged by Terrence Shannon's camp that said, despite the Title IX issues, his procedural safeguards at the university were violated and his due process rights were violated and there were no safeguards in place. Uh, what that means is that once the warrant was issued and the police record was essentially gone public, the University of Illinois stepped in. They stepped in due to their DIA policy, which says 
if there's an allegation of serious misconduct or serious offense, they will take a certain step to suspend or at least uh, you know, uh, limit a player or student athlete's right to do something at the school. In this case, obviously, they suspended him from, from the team. On January 3rd or January 4th, the OSCR, uh, which is a, another on-campus policing you know, panel, also met and they determined that, well, you violated our policy. We need to actually put you on notice of what, what happened or what, were, uh, what, what are the allegations that, that you have violated. And because of that, he was not provided the actual due notice he should have been given. And so what that means, kind of stepping back from all that is, once you're essentially removed from a team and the university has certain contracts in place as to what can and cannot happen, the federal court said, we do not believe he was provided specific safeguards under the university policy that his fair due process rights uh, were eventually violated. And they looked into a couple of specific areas, including his property and liberty interest in the university. Uh, really to have a preliminary uh, injunctive relief granted, you have to show several things. Um, one, you have to show that there's no other remedy besides going through the court of law. Um, two, you have to show that your, your due process, your safeguard rights were essentially violated. And probably the most important thing, which I think really this case turned on, was you have to show irreparable harm would be continued if there was not injunctive relief taking place. And in this case, the court did a very thorough analysis in its 38-page opinion as to what irreparable harm he could experience. And I found it incredibly uh, noteworthy that they referenced the NBA mock draft. And it indicated that due to the fact that he had slid arguably 17 spots, uh, it was just a trajectory downward as where this could ultimately go. And that has value to it. I will also say this. I thought it was very, very instructive and informative that the federal court analyzed NIL and at least pointed to NIL and said, we're in a new day and age where student athletes have value to that. And would this case be decided differently five years ago? Maybe. Um, but the fact that he already has an NIL contract in place at the school, which, you know, Terrence Shannon's camp argued, gives him a fair market value, thus suffering irreparable harm. I think that weighed, weighed significantly in the court's favor. So do you think this could have a significant impact on cases like this in all of collegiate sports at this point? Like, yeah, I'm baking on that front, especially uh, as you mentioned about NIL. I think at this point, it's too wide of a net to cast. And I say that because every single case is different. Every set of facts is different. As you guys might be aware, uh, there's a similar incident, although with different facts down at Texas Tech right now involving a player that was just, you know, potentially was going to be suspended um, due to similar sexual misconduct violations. Texas Tech decided not to suspend him. And they addressed and went through the entire entire uh, Title IX, you know, uh, legal ramifications and, and the whole due process analysis with him. And they chose not to suspend him. There's no criminal case involved there. Here we have a criminal case, which obviously impacts some things. And to, to answer your question, I do not believe now all of a sudden the floodgates will be opened up. I seriously think every case is a, is a fact by fact scenario and each case, case will be judged differently. Do you think if by some chance, and you may not know the answer to this, so obviously just tell me if you don't, if Brad Underwood and Josh Whitman wanted to play it safe and essentially say, Shannon, uh, we just kind of, we're not going to play you. This is not something we feel comfortable doing moving forward until the case is resolved. Thinking if that were the case, could Shannon and his legal team have some sort of you know, a law case against the university? 
th that's a tough argument to make because, you know, necessarily you don't have a fundamental right to be on a basketball team. Um, he's still afforded the, the facilities, the scholarship, you know, the, you know, any other grant or aid money, you know, via the federal government. But to have a right to play on the basketball team, the coach cannot play you for any reason. The coach cannot play you for being a, a disrespectful in, in class to a professor. And so Coach Underwood could take any step that he wants, you know, going forward. He could not dress him on Sunday versus Rutgers. He could have him in the starting lineup. That is his prerogative. It's his program. Um, and really, that's, frankly, none of our business. That's up to him to decide how he wants to handle that. I will say this, though, looking at it from an objective point of view, is that there's going to be a tremendous amount of pressure probably to play him. And I say that because the public is completely aware of what's going on. And in the court of public opinion, a lot of times people are guilty until proven innocent. And that's not necessarily fair or how the American justice system works. And so because of that, uh, to see him out there may give people that sense of pride and to say, no, there is a, a standard. There is an innocent until proven guilty you know, standard in America that we must follow and let's let it play out how it's going to play out. And again, I want to be very careful not to minimize or be insensitive to the criminal case in Kansas. That is very important in a distinction that this federal case has nothing to do with the criminal case. It really doesn't. And the court made made note of that in its opinion. Judge Lalvas carefully said it's important for everybody, you know, in, in similar terms, to compartmentalize these cases into separate cases that one does not necessarily affect the other, so to speak. Um, and so again, how the criminal case will ultimately play out is to be determined. And that alleged victim will also have her day in court as well. So this was obviously one of the big dominoes we were waiting uh, to drop. We got the ruling, you know, Terrence is now allowed to play basketball again with the men's basketball team. Moving forward, like what else is there, you know, with the criminal case, as you mentioned, uh, what else do we have to look forward to at that point? Yeah, so the criminal case ha had its first appearance hearing yesterday, um, and the case was essentially continued to February 23rd. Um, you know, I, I, I said this before on your show, Sonny, is I, I'm not a, a Kansas licensed attorney. However, I have the ability to read documents. And so by doing so, I, I can see kind of the procedure and step-by-step -step approach that is being taken here. And I think it's important to understand there's two ways you are formally charged in the court of law. That can be by a grand jury indictment, or it can be by a preliminary hearing and a judge finds the grounds to formally charge you. He has technically not been formally charged in the Kansas case. There's only been a complaint filed against him. And so that's kind of a separate distinction here that I don't think people completely understand is that there was a complaint filed against him for serious charges, grand, mind you, on December 5th of 2023. The warrant, the police report, all those stuff became public December 28th. And so by all accounts, the formal charges against him have not been read, nor has he entered a guilty plea or not guilty plea as of today. And so that criminal case still has, in my opinion, a long way to go. Uh, and where, what the ultimate outcome of that will be is, is to be determined. But the preliminary hearing is set for February 23rd, 2024. And in the meantime, there could be a grand jury hearing where he would not be a part of. And evidence is presented against him. And then a grand jury can determine whether or not he will be formally indicted. So there's still a ways to go in that case. And again, separate and apart from today's decision. I, Mitch, thank you so much for your time. Uh, you know, we've all been kind of waiting for what I think it's the last six or seven days trying to figure out when that ruling would come. 
of course, the judge decided to do a little Friday news dump on <laughs> all of us. But I appreciate how quickly you're able to, you know, drop things on your end and come back on the show. Once again, is there anything you want to plug or advertise on your end just for the viewers? No, this isn't for self-promotion at all. I'm really coming on here to state independent facts and give people a little bit of a closer look inside of the law. Um, my my best to both parties, Terrence Shannon, the University of Illinois, and like I said too, to be to take this case serious, you have to acknowledge there is an alleged victim here. And I hope truth prevails, which is what you hope in every case. So thanks for having me. Thank you again, Mitch. And thank Thanks, you, Justin. Once again, please, if you want to continue to follow up with uh, Terrence Shannon News, follow me at IlliniCast, follow us at Big Ten Show, and we'll keep you guys up to date. The rest of you, enjoy your weekend. Peace.